Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Alive and well. Here we go. All right. 10 a.m. Excited to be here with you guys. Uh, my name is Josh. If I haven't uh, met you yet, but I'm the, the pastor at Ascent Project, which is the downtown campus for Timberline. We meet in, uh, in Old Town, and so it's a blessing for me. A couple times a year, I get to come over here and enjoy a weekend with all of you. Uh, but this is actually a special weekend uh, for our church. It's a transition one. So uh, we've been meeting in uh, the Everyday Joe's Coffee House for the last almost a little more than a year and a half. Um, and that's changing. And, and so we are moving. And this is actually our last Sunday in the building there. I'm here with you guys instead. So they're doing, they're doing church in the downtown campus over there. But we're moving uh, right around the corner. So we'll still be downtown Fort Collins uh, for our campus there. Uh, it is a building that's right on the corner of Remington and Magnolia Street. Kind of a fun, really cool old church building there. You probably know where Target is on Mulberry and College. Caddy corner to that. That's where we move. And so we meet on Sunday mornings there. And just grateful for what God is doing in our community, in our city, through Timberline Church. And so it's a blessing to get to be a part of that. And, and really fun for me to get to share a weekend here with all of you. So I get to continue our series through the Gospel of Mark. And I uh, would love for just, just to say a prayer as we enter into that, that God would ready our hearts for what he wants to say through his word. So, Father, we just uh, we come before you. God, we're grateful for who you are. We're grateful that you are with us. We're grateful that every single morning your mercies are new. Great is your faithfulness. And so, God, we come before you with humility, and we ask that you would use in just your word. You would illuminate truth of who you are and what you want to say to each one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Well, hey, one of my favorite things to talk about is, is my family. I have four little kids. Uh, my world is fast-paced and busy and crazy right now. Uh, my one-year-old, my youngest, the one-year-old just turned one on Friday. So we just got to celebrate with him, uh, give him a little cake that he threw in his face, did a little milk bath, the whole thing. It was great. We had a friend come over and take photos of him. And, um, you, you know, you know how the, if you have little kids, you know how the experience is as a, as a photo shoot is basically, you know, he, he cried and threw stuff. But then he smiled like a few times, and that's when she snapped the pictures. And so that's what we post on Instagram, right? So, so my kid's just a smiley, you know, he's perfect. He's got all that. Anyway, that's how it looks, right? No, he actually is a super well-temperamented kid. He's awesome, really fun. But uh, our, uh, you know, I was thinking about this. For, for us, whenever we go and do things, like it's a, it's a big ordeal. So, you know, it's, it's fun. A lot is happening. But even just getting in the car with four kids can take a while. Some of you parents, grandparents, people, little kids, you understand what that's like. So when we go places, it's sometimes a different experience, or it always is a different experience than if I just do it by myself. And one of those things is, is shopping. And uh, shopping, I don't know what your mindset towards shopping is, but it's not really my favorite thing in the world, whether it's grocery shopping or things to go buy. And so this is how I view shopping. I view shopping like this. You make a list, and you go and get that stuff as fast as you can, and you leave. All right? That's... That's how I do it. So if I'm by myself, that's, my, that's how I'm doing it. Recently, I had to go to Walmart, and I had to, all I had to get was oil. I needed some oil to add into my car. I know where that's at. I know what kind I got to get. I know how to do it. I was there by myself. Go in, straight to the back, grab it, walk out, check out. I'm out of there in a couple minutes, right? That's a good experience for me. I'm on a mission. That's the most important thing. But then when I take my kids, it's a little different story, all right? Uh, because they don't necessarily have the same vision of what's the most important thing. Their, their view is a little bit different. So when we go to Walmart, right, and you guys know this, that the, these stores, they're not necessarily designed to help parents get in and out without buying more stuff. They're, they're designed to where it's a typical thing to get in and out without buying anything. So if I were to go to the, the oil, the, the back, the auto care section, 
by myself, it's fine. But with my kids, it means I have to go in front of the toy section. And some of you who are parents right now, you might know this, but there's a movie that recently came out to where my world right now is just Paw Patrol. All right. So there, that's like I have a three-year-old that he lives for Paw Patrol. So I know everything about this. But if we go to Walmart, he is going to look at all of those toys. And I really like doing stuff for my kids that make them happy. So I'm probably going to end up buying three different toys, right? Because you get one of them, you got to get the other two. The baby, I can get away with it so far. He doesn't get mad yet. But the other two, right, it's this whole thing. So there's, there's all these different distractions. And you know there's, there's certain stores too. When we go to Shields, right, like Shields is this, this awesome store. Sometimes it's fun. I know parents, you probably do this too. It's like we'll take my kids there when we're just trying to do something that doesn't cost us something on a cold day. We're going to take them to a free fish tank, you know. We're going to go to Shields. The problem with that free fish tank is that if you turn around from it, they have the checkout stands, and on the checkout stands, there's an item that my three-year-old son never, ever misses. It's a bag of Haichu candy. You know, he never, ever misses that. And so there's no way I'm getting out of there without buying something. So I'm saying all that because I view this, you know, for me, shopping is, hey, I'm trying to stay focused on this one thing. But there's so many other distractions that cause you to, to end up with other things or carry other things or add those to your shopping basket that you never intended. And that happens all the time. And right now, we're going to continue through the, the gospel of Mark here. And I get to start in chapter 12. We're going to do the first 12 verses of chapter 12 today. And if you look at the, the entire chapter 12 in Mark, I would say there's, there's, some, there's some different themes. But one of the key ones through that whole chapter is this idea of Jesus calling people to a reality of putting him number one. Of making sure he's at the center of everything. And understanding that there's a lot of different distractions, there's a lot of other things that you could put on the throne of your life that you could surrender to, but there's this real call that we see all through this chapter, and it's going to be prevalent in the parable that he's going to tell, about Jesus has to be first, and the way that it's defined in this section is that he's the cornerstone, that Jesus is the cornerstone. That's a word that's used for him all through the Bible. Jesus himself refers to himself as the cornerstone. And that's what I want to talk about today is this idea of, being, of Jesus being the cornerstone, that he is the one thing, the most important thing in our lives. He's not just something in the midst of a lot of items in a shopping basket, but he actually has the center place and the centerpiece, the most important stone. There's a scripture in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, I want to read to you. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. And so starting out with this, Proverbs does an amazing job. And, and throughout the Proverbs, if you read this book, it's a book of wisdom. But so often it, it lays it out like this where the first part of it is, hey, this is wisdom. Follow this path. The name of the Lord, the character of God. Who God is is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Meaning this is a rock that we can stand on. This is something that I can stand on. This is something I can build my life upon. And then we have the second half of this verse where it's really contrasting and saying, well, the rich man's wealth, he thinks is this great wall, but it's just in his imagination. And so here's a big question that I want us all to consider this morning as we dive into this parable from Jesus. Is this question is, what am I building on? What am I really building my life upon? And I don't mean that just to be the answer of, oh, Jesus is the cornerstone. There's the right answer. It's no, like really when I look at my life and how I spend my time, my energy, my resources, the finances that God has given me. And, and a good way to look at it is, is also when I go through struggle or trial and hardship, when I feel like I'm in a valley, where am I turning? 
Where do I run to to try to find my hope? Where do I run to to try to find my answers? Just really asking for ourselves in a practical way this morning, what am I really building my life upon? And I want to just encourage us that we would be people that build our lives upon Jesus as the true and lasting cornerstone. And so this is point number one, is that we would depend on the true cornerstone. We would depend on the true cornerstone. This verse, it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's able to hold you. It's able to keep you secure. This is a, a strong tower and a refuge that we can cling to. And so we're going to start here in, this, in our scene here in Mark chapter 12. If you got to be with us last week or watched online, you heard a great message from Pastor Derry. He, he covered the last part of Mark 11. And there's a question that's brought up by the religious leaders. So this is in the temple during Holy Week, only a few days before Jesus will be crucified. And there's this question that the religious leaders bring before Jesus. And they're saying, whose authority and by what authority are you doing all of these things? Like what gives you the right to speak the way you speak? What gives you the right to tell us what to do? What gives you the right to do these miracles that you're doing? And Derry did a great job last week talking about this, this idea of authority and, and how Jesus actually didn't answer their question, but instead gave them a different question. And it's in the same context that chapter 12 picks up where he's still talking from this place of this question of what and whose authority gave this to you. And Jesus teaches them through a parable like he does many times. So I'm going to read this parable in its entirety. These, these 12 verses, they'll be on the screen. I think it's important that we read it all together so you can see all of what Jesus was getting at. And you can really picture this story that he's putting before these religious leaders. Starting in, in verse 1, Mark 12. Then Jesus began teaching them with stories. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. Others he sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one left, his son whom he loved dearly. This is an intense story. A lot going on. His son is now sent whom he loves dearly. He says this, the, the owner finally sent him thinking, surely they will respect my son. But the tenant farmers said to one another, here comes the heir to his estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and they threw his body out of the vineyard. What do you suppose the vineyard owner will do, Jesus asked. I tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Didn't you ever read in the scriptures, and here's a powerful line, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. The religious leaders, they wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. So here's Jesus, he's in the temple, and he's speaking the story right to these religious leaders. And as we try to really unpack and understand what he was saying to them and how it can apply to our lives today, I think it's important to, to, to look at it from how these religious leaders would have heard this. So these religious leaders, they were well-schooled in what we call the Old Testament, you know, the, the old writings of the prophets, and that would have included the book of Isaiah. If you read Isaiah chapter 5, the first seven verses, there's also a story about a vineyard. And so in this moment when Jesus is referring to a vineyard and he's describing the vineyard with this lookout tower and this beautiful vineyard, it's the same description that we see in Isaiah 5. So these religious leaders, they would have instantly 
understood this parable in the context of what they knew from the book of Isaiah. And in that book, the vineyard itself represented the people of God. Israel, the people of God. And so right away we can know this is the representation here that the vineyard itself is, is the people of God, all right? And so that vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5, it was this great vineyard that was supposed to bear amazing good fruit, but instead it bore bitter fruit. And there was this expectation from the owner of the vineyard that it would be good and it wasn't. And so they understood that story and now they're going to hear this from that context. And so as we break down what each of these different things mean, we can look at it pretty clearly. And honestly, I think this, this parable is incredible of Jesus because he covers a ton of the story of the Bible in 12 verses. Because we see if, if, the, if the, the vineyard itself is the people of God, the owner of the vineyard represents God. The workers in the vineyard, as it, as it calls out here, these wicked farmers, they're representing the religious leaders, the people that are rejecting Jesus even right then. And then we have these different servants that are sent from the owner to go collect his share of the crop. And they're mistreated, they're beaten, some of them are even killed. Those are represent, representations of the different prophets. These men and women that came before that were pointing towards this coming Messiah, but they were misunderstood, they were beaten, and some of them were killed. And you probably picked, on, picked up on this idea, but this dearly loved son that the owner of the vineyard had sent to now go collect the, his share of the estate is such an rep, amazing representation of Jesus. And Mark's early readers, they would have clearly understood that as well because if you read the, the gospel of Mark, you see time and time again references and mentions to Jesus as the son of God. Even the very first verse in the first chapter says, this is about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. And so they would have an understanding of that. And then we have this where the son is, is murdered and thrown out of the city talking about the crucifixion that's about to come. So there's so much that's going on here in this story. So many different things that are being representation, re represented. And so I just want to pull out a couple things for us today that I think I want to really focus on. We talked about this idea of Jesus being the cornerstone. We can see there's this, there's this expectation among the owner of the vineyard in this parable that the workers would work the field and they would produce a crop that they would then give back to the owner. Right? But instead they look at it and they think, oh, here is the son. He's coming. He's the heir to this estate. Maybe something happened to the father. What if we kill him and then we can get everything for ourselves? And we think we look at a story like this and I think it's really easy to be critical of those people and think, what a, you know, what a horrible attitude. That you just think you can take what's not yours and make it yours and kill somebody in the process, right? But I think when we actually look at our own lives... And how, how often sometimes that we might approach God in this way. Where we think, God, hey, I actually want to control my own life. I want to make decisions for myself. I want to do things the way that I want to do them. I don't want to surrender this to your plan or to your way, but I want to do it the way that I want to do it. Right? It's easy for us to have that mindset when we come before God. Maybe there's areas in my life where I just think that I know better than God. And so what is it that Jesus is teaching them? That's really important when we look at a parable. What was Jesus teaching them? And I think three things that I just want to point out. Number one is this, that he is in control the whole time. He's in control the whole time. It said that, that powerful verse, he says, the stone the builders rejected, which is quoting from Psalm 118. And we'll see multiple references that I'll even share with you this morning of that same quote. And then he says, he says, this is the Lord's doing. Right, the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, and this is the Lord's doing. So this whole story of these prophets being sent and being mistreated and beaten, but proclaiming a message that the Messiah would come, and then the son being sent and being mistreated and killed was not, was yes, a moment of being rejected, 
But God was in control the whole time because we know that he didn't stay dead, right? That the story didn't finish there. That this rejection wasn't final, but instead he rose again and has now become our cornerstone. And it's his death and resurrection that all of my hope is built on. Amen? That everything that we have is built on this reality. The second thing is this, is that his authority is from God. Remember that question that started this parable was, where are you getting all of this authority? Well, Jesus is saying, I am that cornerstone. I am referring to myself as the son, the son of God. He's saying, the authority that I have is because I am God's son. And this third point is the one I've been mentioning that I just want us to get this morning is that he is the cornerstone. He is the most important stone, the one that we can build upon, the one that we can hold on, the one that we can rely on. And it's referenced all through the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8 says, As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. What a statement. And what a statement of hope. And I hope that you can leave this place this morning with a great hope to know this, that anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. He is the cornerstone. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, and here's the the quote, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they don't obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. So we have this, and Peter references Jesus as this cornerstone, but also as a rock that makes people stumble. And we have this incredible, incredible story in the scripture of this man that came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and rose again. And in him we can have life. In him we can have salvation and hope for eternity of our souls. And it's this incredible, incredible moment. But the Bible teaches that at one day every knee will bow and every, knee, every person will stand before God. And we're going to give an account. And it's not going to be based upon how good I was or what I accomplished or how amazing I was. It's all going to be based upon how I responded to this man, Jesus. Right, and so it's this idea of he's this cornerstone, but he's also this rock that makes people stumble, that there's this, there's this decision that's required about who is this Jesus. And so if you're in this place where you've made a decision to follow after Jesus, I, I want to encourage you to say, let's live a life that's built upon this solid rock. When we live and we build upon this, this rock that if you follow, it says it will not be disgraced. Because what we build on is so important. A few years ago, my, my family and I, we got to build a home. We, we purchased our first home, and we did a new build home. And so we got to go through that process, which was really fun, to see our home actually built. And, and I remember we would go and visit the plot of land often, and it was just a piece of dirt with a sign on it, right? And you take a picture. This is going to be our home. And then you go back. We would go every, you know, every couple weeks and just watch the progress. And I remember going when they started to dig the ground, digging the hole out. And was, this is exciting. This is going to be so fun. And it's just a, a hole, you know. And I remember looking at the other houses in the neighborhood that are further along and there's siding going up and there's, you know, or there's, you know, they're, they're doing the framing and they're putting siding up and, oh, that's going to be so fun when my house looks like that. And that's, I realized that's usually, you know, when I'm looking at a house, I'm looking at what I can see above ground and the rooms and all the beauty that I can see of it. But when I went to our house that day and they started laying the foundation, we were watching them pour the concrete and put the foundation in, it just really hit me of how important that season is. And thinking, although I want this to be done quickly so we can move in and enjoy this new place that we're excited about, I realize it's important that this building company gets the foundation right. And I want them to take the time because if the foundation is right, then everything that's built upon it can be made right. right? We might knock a hole through a wall. We can patch that up, right? But, but if the foundation is wrong, that impacts 
everything else. And so this is a big thing for us to consider this morning is, is what am I building on? My foundation, the cornerstone of my life. What am I holding to? This has to be right in my faith. Because if the cornerstone is right, if the foundation is right, the rest of your life can line up in accordance to who God is. Isaiah 28, 16 says it this way. It says, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. I love that phrase. It is a precious stone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. Felix gave us that, just, you know, good question. We had a lot of zip liners in the house this morning. And I was thinking about zip lining, right? It's a fun thing to do. But the key to zip lining is having a strong carabiner, right? You got to be wearing a harness, and the carabiner has to be strong enough to hold you. And there are all kinds of different carabiners out there, right? You could go to the store today and buy a carabiner that's just supposed to clip onto your keys or something like that, right? That's going to work fine for that, but it is not something you want to clip into to go zip lining, right? Like, I want to make sure, and, and the people working at these different zipline places, they're going to make sure they have these top quality industrial grade carabiners that can hold all kinds of weight, way more than any of us weigh, right? They can hold it. And if, if I know that that carabiner can hold me, then I can have a ton of fun and just jump off and ride the zipline, right? But I've got to understand this, this anchor, it has to be able to hold me. And I think this is such a big question for us to ask ourselves is, what am I building on? What, what is the cornerstone of my life and of my faith? What am I actually putting my hope in? And is that something that can last? Is that something that's safe or is that something that's temporary? Is it something that seems good for a bit? That first verse we mentioned in Proverbs 18, he calls out and he says, hey, the rich puts his, he puts his confidence in and he thinks he has this big wall based upon his wealth. But it's just in his imagination. This isn't something that, that doesn't last. You can't take it with you for eternity. And maybe for you, it's the complete opposite. You're saying, that's the last thing that I have confidence in is where my bank account is at right now. And I think that's an important thing, though, is for us to think about where do I turn when things are hard? What do I run to? Because that's going to help us to understand, what am I really building on? What do I feel like gives me security? What do I feel like actually really gives me this confidence? Ephesians 2.20, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he says, together we are his house, now he's talking about we as people, we get to be his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. So he's laying this out for us directly. He is the cornerstone. May we put our trust and our confidence in him. And so I want to finish by just asking this really practically. Thinking about the major areas in my life and in your life, what do I really feel like I'm building on? What do I really feel like I'm putting my hope in? Whether it's in your personal life, it's in your spiritual life, it's in your family life, your work, your career, the different ways that you spend your time, how we spend our finances and our resources. What are we really putting our confidence and our trust in and what are we building upon? In my family life, if I, with my kids, am I, am I building upon a foundation of discipleship and knowing God and allowing God to really be a part of my family or is that something I'm intentional with or am I just hoping that it happens that my kids follow Jesus? Right, I think about my own personal journey and, hey, what is it, what is it like? How do, I, how do I build on something that lasts? I think in our world that is full of distractions, especially in the world of media and entertainment where we take in so much content, I think it's really easy for us to subtly not even realize it but start to realize that, hey, I'm actually not even filling my life and my mind up with the things of God. Instead, I'm just overflow, I'm filled up and I'm overwhelmed by all this other digital intake and content. 
And recently I read this book that's called Faith for Exiles, and it's written by two guys that are leading, uh, they lead at this company called Barna, which does all kinds of research for the church. And in this book, they had a graph that just really stuck out to me, and, and I wanted to share a little bit with you of their findings of talking about just the intake media-wise that we have in our culture today and comparing that to spiritual intake. Because I would say if you want to be somebody that builds your house, that builds yourself up upon the cornerstone, upon who Jesus is, you have to know God, you have to take in who he is, and you have to surround yourself with who he is. Otherwise, you will have different viewpoints from what our world will tell you. And they did a study, this is between people the ages of 15 to 23, and it's annually compared how much media intake did they have over a year compared to how much spiritual content did they take in. And yeah, it's 15 to 23-year-olds, but I think it probably would be drastic numbers, no matter the demographic in the world that we live in. So the question for spiritual content was, in the last week, how much time did you spend at church, Bible study, youth group, uh, listening to a Christian podcast, listening to Christian music, anything that counts as spiritual intake, how much in that week, and then they multiplied it out over a year. All right, so this is what they found, is that screen media intake over a year, non-spiritual content, was 2,767 hours for the average person, 15 to 23, over 2,700 hours annually. Compared to this, and this is among churchgoers, they said their content annually of spiritual content intake was 291 hours. And then for people that didn't go to church, it was 153 hours. And so you really just see that, and you ask this question, what am, I, what am I filling my mind and my heart and my soul with? And it's, I think it's easy where we don't even really realize all of the different things that we're allowing in. Now, of course, all of that content isn't necessarily all negative, but, but compared to that to say maybe 290 hours of spiritual intake versus over 2,700 hours of all kinds of other things. I think it helps us to just ask this question, am I prioritizing the right things in my life? And am I, you, am I really taking in what's going to help me build upon the solid rock? Because that's such a huge thing. And I want to bring it back to this parable of the talents. Right, it's amazing. I just love that. I love how he quotes Psalm 118. Where Jesus is saying, the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This idea that all these religious leaders, the people who opposed Jesus, they thought they had won. Right, they, they killed the son. They killed Jesus. They killed this guy who claimed to be the Messiah. They had him cast aside and rejected. But instead, he rose again. And now it's on him that we can build our lives and build our hope. And so I want to encourage you, church, this morning that we would be people that we don't miss it. That we don't, we don't build our lives and our confidence and put our faith in things that don't last. And things that don't count for eternity. But that we would have this set and secure, this cornerstone that's in the right place in my life that I hold to, that I run to in the good times and in the bad times. And this has been really coming to alive for me right now. And I know many of you guys are on this journey with us, but we've been talking about this, this uh, 24-day devotional experience called Altar in the Valley. And it's all set up for this opportunity to really help people learn how to look to and, and walk with God through the trials and the valleys of life. Some of you guys might be doing this. It's, it's a 24-day uh, audio experience where you, you listen to about 15 to 20 minutes of audio content with a, a worship time and, and then getting to hear from different speakers from all over the country sharing their stories of how do I deal with pain and struggle and still trust God? How do I still believe that God is my cornerstone in the midst of struggle? If you haven't heard of that and you want to, it's just go to alterinthevalley.com. You can join it for free. But as I've been going through this and hearing from these different people, on the third day on this, there's, there's a guy, his name is Cyrus Madbondo, and he shares, he shares his story that's just impacted me so much in a quote that he says that I want to share with you. If you haven't heard this, but 
But Cyrus, he's a, he's a friend of mine, and uh, went, to, went to Africa, Uganda, on a mission trip with this guy. And he's the director for Africa for a Christian humanitarian aid organization. He lives in Virginia. And just has an incredible faith. If you spend any time with this guy, it is, it is just solid gold. He, he's always talking about Jesus. He's always smiling. He's always loving people. He spends his life to pour it out to the poor and the hurting in Africa. But he shares a story that he went through on his own where when he had, he's a father and his youngest daughter, when she was about eight years old, asked him to go to a friend's house. And only an hour later, there was a big accident and his daughter drowned in the pool in his neighbor's backyard. And he shares the story, and I just, I forgot about it when he, had, when he you know, when, he, I was, when, I, when I talked to this guy, it just blows my mind, like his faith and his love for Jesus, and didn't know that he, he had gone through this. And, and on this experience, he's talking about this and saying, how I still have hope, how I still have faith, how I still have trust in God. And he had a quote that just really hit me. He said this in this as he was telling the story. He said, had it not been for my faith, I would have lost my mind. And I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine the pain and the suffering. And some of you guys maybe have had to deal with something similar to that or whatever it might be that, that you feel like you're struggling with here today. The place of uncertainty, anxiety, maybe it's something that feels really big. Maybe it's something that has just been taking a long time and you're anxious and you're struggling about with. But, but I think that's, it's such a reality. Aside from Jesus, how do, how do we deal with the struggles of life? How do we deal with when we don't know where to go, when, when things are outside of our control? How do we handle it? But there's such a hope that we have by knowing this. And I would hope that we can live with such a confidence to say this, that, that if God is for me, then who could be against me? If God is the cornerstone, then I want to build my life upon the cornerstone that is strong enough to hold me. I want to build my life upon the cornerstone that's going to be there through the ups and the downs, through all of the storms, through all of the valleys. I want to build my life. I want to fill my life with the faith and the hope that comes from looking at Jesus. And I would encourage you today to ask that question, what am I building on? What am I prioritizing in my life? And if it's not centered on Jesus as the cornerstone, would this be a day to say, God, I've got to make the time to be with you. God, I've got to make the time to prioritize this. God, I've got to make adjustments in my family life, in my work life, in the way that we live our life to put you at the place that you deserve to be. Because I want to live a life where I'm looking at you. That we don't, that's such an amazing hope. We don't need to be people that lose our minds because there is a solid rock. Hebrews 6, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. This anchor that can hold us. So let me pray over you guys as we close today. That we would be people of great faith and confidence and stand on this solid rock. Jesus, we thank you for who you say that you are. Although that you were rejected by men, you were despised, you went through great suffering, yet it was through that that you exalted yourself above every name, that at the name of that every knee will bow before you, that we can, we can put our full trust, our full confidence in you, that you are the cornerstone. God, you are the one that we can build upon. You are the one that we can trust. And I pray for my friends here today, whatever struggle or trial or valley they may be facing. God, we just thank you that we don't need to be losing our minds, but instead we can put our faith and trust in you. If it weren't for knowing that, we don't know where we'd go. So God, we look to you. Help us, Lord, to put you at the centerpiece to be our cornerstone. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, I just invite our usher team to come forward. Um, as Doug mentioned, our deacon, we're just going to do just a quick moment. If you want to give in that pastor appreciation offering, this will be your opportunity as we sing this final song.
I've got good news for you. You do not have to watch the Bronco game this afternoon, so you've got the afternoon free. I'd like to invite the prayer team to come forward. If you need prayer, please do so. And let love live. Have a great weekend.